0: I am joined today on Between the Levies by Mary McCarthy, the Director of Sustainability and Corporate Responsibility for Moran Towing. She is also the co-founder of a little group called Admiralty, which we will discuss in this conversation. Mary, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Oh, my gosh, Tim. Thank you so much. What an honor. Uh, you just keep racking up uh, all the cool people in the industry, uh, and I'm very honored to be asked to join.
0: Well, I was told you are sort of this generation's river legend, so we'll find out how that happened. First of yeah. all,
1: suspect accusation right there, but <laughs> that's
0: okay. We'll take it. So uh, where were you born and, and uh, what what eventually led you to the industry?
1: I grew up in Northern Virginia in the D.C. suburbs. Um, my dad worked uh, for a newspaper in Washington, D.C. I was born in Dallas, but uh, my family, only spent a small time there. My family's from Oklahoma. So my older brother was born in Oklahoma. Me and my younger brother, born in Dallas during a very brief stopover before kind of my dad uh, moved to D.C. with my mom and kind of made his career. So um, really an Oklahoman at heart, uh, but uh, raised in Northern Virginia.
0: Did your uh, mother work? She did. Uh,
1: She Both my parents were editors. So if you think that my Admiralty emails have great grammar. It's because of them. Uh, They're both uh, editors um, and uh, reporters and editors. That's kind of how they met at University of Oklahoma in the journalism school, and and that's what they both did their careers um, made their careers pretty much. So uh, I have, like I said, two brothers, one older, one younger, and I'll be honest that I really fell into the industry by accident. Um, I answered a classified ad in, in. And that was, you know, in the newspaper, I was sitting on a bus circling the classified ads, uh, like you see in the movies back in 2006. So I was very lucky to uh, happen upon the industry and uh, meet so many people who are family legacies. And it's just that's why I think it's just fascinating to learn about all these family companies. And that's another thing I really appreciate about your podcast. Um, I've learned a lot about the family companies along the way.
0: Well, were you drawn at all to journalism? Was there any any drive toward that?
1: Great question. Yeah, I was like, oh, this seems easy. It was not easy. I had an internship at our little local paper, in Indiana, Virginia, and I was terrible at it. I was so bad, I didn't like, I didn't have the personality just walk up to people and start interviewing them and asking them questions that like news hound instinct that you need. Um, I did not have that. And so I kind of surprised was surprised that it was definitely something I did not like. So I was a history major in college just because I liked it, thought it was interesting. but like we have a similar interest in history. Um, and so that's kind of what I ended up, you know, the only career I knew in my family was really journalism and, and didn't want to do that. And so just started applying for places. I had an internship my senior year of college as a public affairs assistant at a nonprofit, small nonprofit in DC that did like smart growth, more like transit, like, you know, smart growth in cities with transit hubs and buses and trains and that kind of thing. Um, Since I went to college at University of Mary Washington, which is just about an hour south of DC. So two days a week, I went up there. And so I had this like six months of writing press releases and updating the website and you know it was pre-social media mostly so I didn't even do that element of it uh very much but i at least had enough to start looking for other public affairs assistant jobs that were permanent this this internship was kind of an extended internship so that summer after college i lived at home and took a bus to the metro to this internship and was just applying for jobs all summer and fortunately for me, um, American Waterways Operators was one of the uh, folks who gave me a chance with an interview. So Ann Burns, who was the VP of Public Affairs at the time, brought me in and we had, she lived in Vienna, we had a lot in common and she uh, decided to give me a shot. Um, Her and Tom Allegretti both, I interviewed with them both and so I owe a lot to both of them um, because it was Seemed as, as a 22-year-old to have an actual office with a door and to be able to go to cool places like Seattle and Boston and San Diego and Chicago and New Orleans, Miami, you know, all the big port cities, um, that, that was uh, a dream for me. So I, I got very lucky that even though I wasn't kind of raised on deck uh, or anything like that, I got into it pretty early um, and was able to realize what a great industry it is
0: did your siblings follow your parents into the journalism industry
1: no they're both really technically minded my older brother but they're both you know we're, we all have great grammar so that helps um my older brother uh ended up moving out got an engineering degree they both went to virginia tech my older brother got an engineering degree and ended up moving to san francisco and really got into tech and now uh, works for Credit Karma, before he worked for Patreon. So he's kind of a project engineer. He kind of brings together the engineers and sales folks. And so he has that kind of right brain, left brain, um, which is very uh, coveted that I did not quite get that great balance. My younger brother's an accountant, um, works for JP Morgan, uh, still is in the DC area. Uh, so he's my, personal financial consultant, which I appreciate his help with. Uh, So we all ended up in different kinds of stuff and all kind of scattered. Um, But uh, we all have like to catch up with each other over holidays because all of us work in such different industries. uh, It's really fascinating.
0: Well, before we get into your uh, your beginnings (laughs) with AWO, uh, tell me a little bit about growing up anything interesting happened to you anything any interesting episodes in school or extracurricular activities the only
1: one worth mentioning because i had a very pleasant but not uh terribly exciting uh suburban upbringing um was i was a big swimmer i was on the swim team uh, i was a lifeguard i taught swim lessons to little kids and was at the pool all the time and we had kind of neighborhood pools, so i was just there you know swim in high school so I don't know the only connection I had to the water is that I like swimming so it's really a stretch <laughs> it's my only link to the maritime industry but I'll I get maybe that kind of uh helped me a little bit um really realize that this was a great industry and to kind of stick stick with it
0: tell me a little bit about your uh, your career with AWO and and I guess any stories that come to mind about these maybe revelatory moments when you said wow this is where I want to be.
1: Oh, that's a good question. These are such good questions. So uh, if, I if, I,
0: if I may interject one more time, you said you don't, oh, yeah. you, you don't like coming up to people and asking questions. I do. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, carry on.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Made me choke with laughter. Um, yeah, uh, different strokes, different strokes. Um, so I got into AWO in an awesome time right i had four you know i have four different jobs i think three or four jobs in four years in terms of just opportunities for promotions and changes in jobs so i got to really get a lot of experience quickly when i was young in the industry so i started 2006 and then the following year we reorganized so we created these issue specific positions um so it's all you know awo american waterways operators is the national trade association for the tugboat towboat and barge industry and so instead of having you know we ended up deciding that like hey these big issues are everywhere and so let's have these kind of issue specific they call, call them government affairs associates which they still have um and so regardless of who what which kind of upper level management person be it um the vice president out in seattle or the lobbyist there in dc or you know lynn munch in st louis or whoever whatever that issue is they would tap you and so you got to work on these really interesting issues which i think all of our in- issues are very interesting our industry punches above its weight we're mostly um bipartisan in a way that i like uh, in dc a lot of folks have jobs that are one or the other in terms of political parties and ours our issues. We were talking to everybody, which I really liked. Um, and so that shift away from kind of the person who put out the newsletter every other week as a public affairs assistant, which was great and a great way to learn um, what we had going on, to being you know kind of an issue expert that supported our our executive team. That was huge. Um, and I was, I guess, I was the only one that kind of in that shift stuck around. Um I don't think I had any revelations besides everyone was just all the members AWO mostly the folks who I met initially were kind of the executives a lot of I know on your podcast you really interview people it's such a diverse industry you've got executives you've got dispatchers you've got mariners and everybody um most of the people I was interacting with first were the uh, at the executive level um and so but most of them is their family companies I do remember Tom Allegretti specifically being very much a stickler when I was, you know, making name tags or doing my my uh, job that all the company names had to be right. And it took me a little while to realize that he's spot on because those are people's family names. I mean, you can't mess them up. <laughs> so it's not a good look. Um, so that really imparted on me a lot that, hey, like, yes, this person may be a president of a company, but. It's his family company. You know, I, I know a lot of his family members now uh, just through their participation. And also I learned quickly about the 24 seven nature of the industry, which you're calling people to just, you know, reach out about an issue or whatever. And they're fly fishing, they're at a wedding, whatever. But they always picked up. And I just thought as a 22 year old, I thought those, and they were happy happy to talk to you. New Year's Eve, I was calling people. Um, uh, with a particularly sticky Asian carp issue that Lynn Munch and I worked one, late into one uh, New Year's Eve. And you know, I'm calling people like 9 p.m. They're they are at a party, I could tell, in the background. And they're happy to talk to me and give me what I need. So that maybe that was kind of what really hooked me, that everything these people did was interesting. They were all super nice and supportive and willing to teach someone who didn't know anything about the industry. They weren't like, oh, you don't know anything. We don't respect you. It was, hey, come on, learn and that they just worked really hard. And so I think that was, uh, you know, maybe some of the things that that led me to stick around. And so then as other government affairs associates were hired, I was kind of the senior person, even though I'd only been there a year or two. So I got to kind of help them and uh, really get to learn a lot in that transition. So I can't say enough good things about working there. Um, For sure, it was a great first job as good, one of as good as you can get. The only issue is no operational. You know, you're not really involved in many operations, and that's the biggest thing that we do. So that is what I've been trying to focus on a lot of the rest of my career. But you got to start somewhere. Not going to be well rounded, you know, after your first job.
0: No, I think I uh, I have a, an idea what this answer might be. But that you have a favorite port city to visit, and if so, why? Oh, New Orleans.
1: So I ended up moving here <laughs> on after going to like three meetings or conferences down here and just decided I needed to live here. So luckily it ended up being better than just, you know, what I saw on these work visits, which, you know, uh, I got to get out on some boats. Tim Morton brought me out on a boat. Um, I think that's the only time I got on a boat down here before I moved. Um, And it just seemed like a really cool city to a 26 year old. Um, Post Katrina, a lot going on. A lot of young people here, um, and I didn't have a job when I moved here. But I hoped that with just it being a maritime center of the country, that I, I would hopefully get one. So it was a gamble. Uh, I'm lucky it paid off.
0: Aside from New Orleans, what was the most scenic port uh, port city you've been to? Maybe, and, and are there any interesting memories or surprises about visiting?
1: That is a great question. My instinct when you said that was maybe Seattle. That was my first port city uh, that I went to. Um, I spent a lot of time in Chicago, in the Chicago area and it's just beautiful. And um, the people are great and the maritime industry is more diverse there than I think a lot of people realize. So I think it's a hidden gem in terms of our industry. Um, it's, not just the, it's not just the end of the line, you know, which is how I think we line haul Tugboaters who are based down here may think of it. <laughs> um, uh, Baltimore, you know, grew up going to Orioles games and in Inner Harbor right there. It's kind of it's like New Orleans and and New York and, and other cities that if you're spending time in the city, you're you're looking at tugboats. So those would probably be my top ones. Um, what about you? What's your? Do you have a favorite?
0: I've only seen New Orleans, as a matter of fact.
1: Okay, well we got to get you out. Okay, that's
0: pretty limited. So, yeah. Looking forward a little bit. So, you're 26, you moved to New Orleans to party a little bit, maybe to find a job. What uh, what led you eventually to an 11-year stint with Canal Barge?
1: Um, when I moved down, I moved down for grad school. I kind of had decided that I wanted to do public administration. I liked the policy stuff at AWO enough and the issues and I am not um partisan my the Political science is not really my thing. That's, some, that's a lot of people's things in D.C., and it wasn't my thing, so I knew I would probably only, you know, get so far, and, and it wasn't as interesting to me. Um, but public administration is really about implementing what the legislators and the people decide we need to do. So the stickiness of, okay, we wrote this bill, or we said we need to do this. Now, how does it get done, and how do you measure it? Which is really real real life, I thought. So, you know, it's interestingly really complex to me. So, um, I decided to go to the grad program, MPA grad program at UNO um, up the street here. And I had no money. I spent all my money on rent because I lived in downtown DC on Capitol Hill. So, I spent 80% of my paycheck on rent, which you're not supposed to do. Um, but I had a great four years uh, in DC. Uh, living with my girlfriends and, and having fun. And so I needed the student loan. So I couldn't have just moved. I didn't have the money to just like move. So uh, I did also what you're not supposed to do and just go all in on student loans and hope for the best um, and and live off them. Uh, But I had messaged some folks in the industry, just let them know I was coming down. would love to pick their brains, you know, about new Orleans and everything. And Tom Smith, my very long time boss at Canal uh, I remember him texting me and saying, heard you were moving down. We'd love to set up, you know, an interview to see if we could work together. And again, just all the credit to Tom. He um, hired me four days a week, part-time, said, you moved here for school, do your school. Um, but if four days a week works for you, it works for us. So it's kind of perfect amount of time, enough to not just be a part-time or a two-day-a-week or at Canal, but also uh, not fail out of grad school. And I have nothing to show for all my loans. So, um, and kind of work hourly. So work work when you can, but if you can't, you know, then you're off the clock. Um, So I did that for three years. And I also just, you know, credit to Tom and also to what a great company that Canal is. I got in at a great time with them because they were expanding. When I started at Canal in 2010, our employee count was just under 500. And then when I left in 2021, it was... Almost 900. So, um, increased a lot. I don't know the boat count uh, equivalent to that, but did some building, did some buying, um, and just did some, you know, uh, right sizing of shoreside folks for support just with the more mariners. And so, there was a lot going on at Canal and a lot of new regulations, including subchapter M, which I ended up um, kind of working on for several, obviously, several years there. So, uh, it was pretty obvious that it was a cool place to be that was diverse and dynamic and uh, growing. And so I was appreciative that they let me, you know, uh, I was lucky that I knew I had a job after grad school, which which I was not expecting. Um, uh, that was really great to have.
0: How long did grad school take?
1: Three years. And, you know, after two years, I was like, hey, when you're done, if you're interested, let's do full-time. And I was full-in. So that last year was tough when you have a job. <laughs> you are like, okay, why am I doing writing this 30-page paper? But you got to do it. You just got to finish. Um, and I tried to do my papers on on topics relevant to our industry so I could kind of you know, uh, go back and forth a little bit, uh, which helped some keep my motivation high. Well, walk me through your career with Canal. Man, uh, it started off, I did the newsletter and I had three main things: the newsletter, our business continuity plan, which um, this was five years after Katrina. So, the business continuity plan used to be the, the hurricane plan was really a huge, huge thing that had uh, a lot of focus of everyone in the company. Um, a lot of lessons learned from Katrina in it, and a lot of continued uh, interest in it. And so that was, and just as a new New Orleanian, that was a great project for me uh, because I got to kind of learn about how companies who are 24 uh, seven handled um, all their people scattered and, and kind of especially when technology wasn't as as advanced as it was even you know, in 2010 and now. And then um, the vessel re- tank barge vessel response plan regulations were uh, the salvage and marine firefighting portion of those regulations was was getting finalized. We had to fi- sign contracts with salvage and marine firefighting providers um, and update our VRPs and all that. So I kind of learned the tank barge side, which is fascinating um and got to learn kind of the corporate side um, with the business continuity plan how all well that was handled the newsletter which is always great because you talk to a bunch of different departments and sub m was kind of out there as coming at some point so kind of watching that so it was great to have those kind of projects at first and they kind of grew with the vessel response plan regulations then the non-tank vessel response plan regulations came about so some of our towboats looped re- into those I kind of Passed off the newsletter to uh, a growing social media team, which, you know, all companies uh, were beefing that area. And obviously, Sub-M continued business continuity and kind of organizational operation type stuff. And then Sub-M became, you know, the big elephant that we were all trying to take bites of at one time. So that is kind of everything just kind of continue to grow. And we just had a, a lot of young people who I feel like there weren't. A whole lot of young people when I started. Um, there were a few that, that stayed around for a long time, but a lot got hired in my my class almost. That was kind of one of the reasons that I was interested in, in founding Admiralty and ended up talking to, to the co-founders Tim and Alyssa about it because some people I felt like they just, the young folks in the organization didn't, they were working for Canal, they weren't working for the industry, and I came from the opposite direction. And I was like, and Hannah Shotan, now McGowan, was my coworker and uh, fortunately took me under her wing and helped me kind of learn about New Orleans and learn about the industry and learn about the company. Shotan is a, obviously a very, I have a book about their family here, their longtime Tobo family uh, that Kirby ended up purchasing in the 90s. And a lot of folks in the industry, I know Z Dave and Frank and, and the other folks on your podcast referenced Shotan. And so people will come up to me who I knew from AWO and be like, we heard there's a Showtan at your company. Like, is it he? Is it she? Where, where are they? Can you bring that? Like, they, and she, you know, had a connection to the industry, but didn't realize how many people knew her family and had met her when she was young. And so that was also kind of the impetus for Admiralty, kind of early on at Canal, realizing that we have some young people who, uh, you know, would maybe be interested in being connected to the industry kind of writ large.
0: Well, for the non-Mariner or non-Marine industry viewer, explain a little bit about what Sub-M is.
1: Oh, oh my gosh, so hard. Sub-M, inspection of towing vessels. So something that we've kind of battled for a long time as an industry is that we, towing vessels were not inspected. Were they regulated? Yes. Um, And Mike Rushing, uh, RIP, created a great book of towboat regulations that was huge. So anytime I would hear that, I would pull out my my rushing book and say, "These are, you know, we are we are regulated, and the Coast Guard can get on our boats at any time." But that uninspected label, because we didn't have annual Coast Guard boots on deck, making sure everything looked good, like tank barges had ferries, um, you know, and other vessel classes, it kind of left us susceptible to. Um, That negative stigma. And also, you know, if you just look at the history of regulations, most of them come about after a major incident,
0: you know, often rightly
1: so. Um, But then there's a huge push for it. And it's really hard to get the details right uh, when it is um, in the public eye and being clamored for and on a timeline. So the industry did something that I uh, haven't, don't know of Really happening very often anywhere else, and we asked to be uh, inspected. So AWO went to Congress and, in like the early 2000s, got towing vessel inspection inserted into probably the Coast Guard authorization bill. I don't remember which one anymore. And so it, you know, mandated that the Coast Guard inspect us, but we were all for it. Um, and we already had the RCP since like 1990, so we had an awesome Voluntary standard for policies that was specific to towboats, so that we were all have been using for 10 years. So we we're like, this is great. We basically already started. Here you go. And hey, regulators, if you know, we want to not just have it be boots on deck checklist, focus on engine room wheelhouse. If you wanted to actually focus on the people, which we all know from incident investigations is really uh, the main. Um, Factor, you know, human factors are the main factors behind incidents. Um, all these policies and procedures to make sure we're operating correctly as a company and supporting our mariners, uh, making sure they're trained and healthy and and alert and um, compliant with the work rest hours and all that. That this is really the way you do it. Don't lose all the checklists to make sure the boat, you know, is is seaworthy. But there's also this other piece, and so other people are on the front lines of that. I came in to AWO in the middle of that, but it wasn't, you know, other folks were working on it, so I kind of heard about it, but it wasn't, it was already, it had already started, and then um, just kind of took a long time for the rulemaking to be finalized, but once it did, it was game on, Um, and companies who voluntarily did stuff for a long time were ahead of the game, and it was not a huge sea change, but it was still work to make sure that you were doing what you needed to do. And so again, I, I feel like that was a great project because it really got me working, especially with our port engineering team, who's amazing. And you know, I was, I was in their area of the office and working with them the most because the policies we, we had. We had the policies, we we're implementing them. We we're already being audited all the time. But the engineering piece was the area I had the least experience in. And, and that's the area that, you know, took more time to change, uh, obviously. And I know Ingram is the same way. You don't have one type of towboat. You don't have 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 of the same types of towboats. You have all different classes and ages and what's on what. And so that really taught me a lot about um, about actual, you know, the, the engineering, mechanical, uh, electrical components of, of towboats. So uh, that, that helped a lot with kind of filling that gap in my operational knowledge.
0: Next, I guess, tell me a little bit about about the origins and the advent of your Admiralty program.
1: Oh, this is the best part. Admiralty is the best. Um, ten, 10 years this month. Um, can't believe it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I hope Alyssa does uh, do your podcast. So if she's listening, um, or other people are listening, ping her about it because... And we've taught, her, me and Tim have talked about it, but I think my recollection is that we were at like the Weston Hotel for some AWO conference. And between the three of us, it was just a natural conversation. So I can't even remember. I think it was just, hey, let's do a happy hour. Let's all chat. And like, hey, I know some people we can add. And I did have this desire to like, hey, I'm going to bring some of my coworkers who like, you know, don't realize that this is, a big industry that I think is just a good New Orleans company, but they don't realize it's the tip of the the spear here um, or tip of the iceberg, I guess. And in DC, there's all these young people in X happy hour groups to network. So I went to young people in transportation, but it was all transit people, which is interesting, but not freight. And then I went to young people in energy, which we have a chapter in New Orleans um, that I wanna intersect with, but uh, that um, my friends who worked at the Department of Energy would go there. And there was no one in transportation, Um, so I never really found a home. But I thought it was a great idea because there's a lot of, you know, people just being able to chat and learn about their community. And so I had that kind of model and in my head of something that was easy of just a here's a place and a time, pay your own way, show up if you want to. And that's honestly the literally the easiest model to manage, and it has worked so far so which has been very nice that people are have been interested in 10 years you know continuously to just be able to meet up and chat in kind of informal setting we're fortunate in new orleans we have all these amazing groups and they all fill a different need which is great this one is is a good one to get folks in the door especially young people who maybe don't have a hundred dollars for dues to the propeller club or something they may be just starting out and you know don't maybe intimidated ask their boss for uh To expense that, I know I was, Um, and it's a way for them to start networking and kind of get that foot in the door. Um, And I know people who have gotten jobs out of Admiralty. I know people who have gotten married because of Admiralty. So uh, it's ended up being uh, better than any of us could have ever expected, while also being the same amount of ease to plan. And I, I would say that once people stop showing up, I'll stop sending out the emails and. But until then, it's kind of like this podcast. It really does remind me of your podcast because it's like, you're kind of doing the hustle with job and you're trying to learn new stuff and, you know, navigate. And then you just pick and do something on your own time that you're just interested in. And it's like, boom, like way more immediate positive feedback than you'd ever get in any other arena. Just not, you know, just because it's something that you're doing it because you're interested in it's very authentic and so i i feel that way about your podcast i don't know if you feel that way but just that it's exploded
0: well it's been a very interesting and and surprisingly well received little project um certainly a lot more to people than i knew and it's been most interesting to me to find the all the origin stories that converge on this one industry (laughs) this one industry that nobody knows about but I did. I grew up right outside New Orleans. I mean, I saw ship stacks passing over the levee, but I, I never really knew anything about that. But before we uh, get into any more of that, uh, what uh, prompted your transition to turn services? And um, well, actually, I, before we go there, was Sub-M your focus for the duration of your time at Canal? Yeah, I'm
1: trying to think. So the final... COIs. Yeah, for the for the duration. I I left Canal before all of our boats got COIs, but I think 50% had COIs. So I remember submitting our comments on the Nosa of proposed rulemaking to Sub-M in 2011, which is you know, a year after I joined Canal. And then we got our TISMA certificate in 2018. Um, And I was also just super fortunate. Uh, My boss after Tom Smith, retired was Joe Tyson, and he's a senior vice president of operations. And he was the chair of the AWO Responsible Carrier Program Standards Board. And as part of this process of RCP and Sub-M kind of meshing, there was a lot of work to be done. And so he uh, very generously kind of pulled me in on that work. which uh, he need you know he needed help on, and I was happy to do it. And I was very very familiar with RCP, so it kind of worked out. And just gave me a front row seat to kind of the sausage making behind it. And just really gave me a lot of uh, knowledge and then kind of confidence in that knowledge. I just, you know, overall, not being a mariner. Or being, you know, uh, in operations, or going to a Maritime Academy, that's constantly, you know, what I'm trying to make up for, make sure that I don't make mistakes because I haven't been on board uh, more than just a couple of days at a time. So, doing that, working with port captains, port engineers, and then working with the whole industry, you know, to answer questions and standing up at conferences and, you know, really working on this with people for years. Um, really helped accelerate that, again, filling that gap. Um, so that was kind of really my biggest project for sure. Um, as well as kind of at the end of Canal, I really got into incident response, which is another great way to learn about the operations because every every call you get is different and you know the kind of calls that you can get. Um, no no two the same uh, and and always something to try to figure out. So between those two, You know, I'll never say that uh, I'm a mariner or that I have an operational background necessarily, but it's also just the most interesting part of the business, you know? (laughs) That's that's where it is happening. That's watching the stacks go by and stuff. That's the coolest stuff. So, and I did, I'm gonna cut you off from your next question to say something about this podcast. What I like about it is also like a, you know, record. Like it's, you know, Library of Congress like records people's stories, and I don't know if you know this, but there's a book called Between the Levees that Steve Golding's wife, Melody produced. She's a photographer and she did photographs and wrote like kind of one or two page vignettes and interviewed a bunch of Mariners. And I have, I'm looking this way because it's in a box right there. And so I think it's interesting that you picked this name um, because her take was very exactly the same as yours is between the levees that's really where the action is and it's hidden from 99 percent of the population and we need to capture these stories so she has some her first mariners that she interviewed in the book you know were in their 80s or 90s and then passed away shortly thereafter and those stories need to be told and I think it behooves us you know as the next generation coming online to look toward the future but to listen to those people and we're lucky to have so many of them in the industry People don't leave this industry so we're like they're all here they're all and they're happy to kind of teach us what they learn and let us skip the line a little bit in terms of learning from from them and so doing it in a podcast form and doing all different kinds of folks not just mariners you have kind of evolved the idea without maybe even knowing about it um and that's why i think it's so important it's a legacy that we'll always have as an amazing resource in this industry
0: i had heard about the book but i did not know the title so I didn't steal it intentionally. <laughs> I don't think,
1: it, I think she'd be fine with it, but you should interview Steve. Golding. Can, I don't know if he's on your list, but he'd be a good put, one.
0: Put me in touch. By I all will. Means, uh, what prompted your transition to turn?
1: So I really loved uh, working at Canal. And I got to say, it's one of those jobs that I thought I'd be doing for three, maybe five years and double or tripled that because Canal was so awesome and just gave me so many opportunities. And it's a great company, I mean, everyone knows it's a great company, it's no secret. Um, But you know, I I was very fortunate to to work there for that long. And really the only, there really is no reason to leave Canal. It's a great company and most people don't leave um, for good reason. But I was kind of interested in getting experience in a different segment of our industry. And Canal's pretty diversified. So I got a lot of experience in uh, inland tanks, hoppers, decks and tow boats um, ocean going deck barges fleeting in Chicago I wasn't really involved in this venture but um, did some operations down in Columbia um, on the Magdalena River um, uh, ta- our internal tankerman you know we hired out we hired tankermen, but also we had our own internal vessel and short tankermen so that's its own industry really uh, in-house industry um, in-house business line and so I just uh, got a lot of experience in a lot of diverse areas, but at the end of the day, it wasn't shipping, you know, tugs, that kind of stuff. I was kind of interested in, you know, I love brown water, but knew that there was a, an awesome industry out there, a bigger maritime industry than than I had experienced, and I was just interested in in seeing that. So it was a super tough decision to leave canal, um, but it was kind of like I don't know. I felt like leave, you know, if I'm even thinking about it don't, you know, you don't want to leave it too late. So if it is on your mind, and then are you going to be distracting doing your job that you loved for 11 years, but sometimes it's just a change. So I'm basically giving you my exit interview that I gave to Merit, because <laughs> so I was like, oh, is, I can't say anything except for good things. Um, but I was really interested in the opportunity to turn and appreciated them uh, giving me a shot because I had lived, similar to you, lived in New Orleans. Now I'm on my 13th year, but at the time, my 11th year. I didn't really know very much about the harbor or the port at all. Um, with Canal, our boats did come, had maybe five or six that would regularly come through, some 6,000s, some 2,000s, you know. but kind of just come and come out. So I didn't know anything about the port of New Orleans and how it operates. And that's really turn, and then our parent company, Associated Terminals, sweet spot. So, um, you know, and I, I was familiar with fleeting would turn on the fleeting side, but realizing why turn and associated works so well together. It's, you know, it's very synergistic and learning about dry cargo stevedoring, which I just, you know, really more on the tank barge side. So dry cargo at all, uh, which I know is, um, Ingram's area, you know, more so than, than canals. It was just fascinating and seeing all these gigantic grain, Uh, ships come down um, or barges come down and load these big grain ships and just realize that you know that's how we feed the world Uh, as Gary Poirier our chairman associate chairman always says um, was taught me a lot in a short amount of time and all the boats are right there I got on a boat probably once a week and we have crew boats so yeah, basically, you know, which, as we all know, any of us who have any experience in crewing, which I, I got a little bit um, during COVID, uh, crew boats are not cheap. So if you work for a crew boat company, you get to ride one and, and jump on with someone else. It's, it uh, use that opportunity because uh, it's not cheap normally. Um, so that was the best part about working there, besides Mario, my boss, uh, another great, great mentor to me, my whole career. Um, was just the ability to really, and, you know, fleet boats are always moving. So there's never, when you go on board, you're not sitting, you're not like, you might, when, you know, you get on a 6,000 that's, that's waiting on tow, you know, waiting on a fleet boat. Um, And so that means they're easy to catch. So that was huge. Just again, and being able to learn a little bit a lot in a little bit of time um, and just learn that side of the business. I didn't know.
0: What was your role with turn?
1: I was vice president of regulatory affairs. So just with the company becoming more active, um, really doing some of the industry. I became, I was chair of GEICA at the time, the Gulf Intercoastal Canal Association, active with kind of AWO safety committees, which are really where the operational folks are, which, you know, is is some of the more interesting stuff to my day job. And, you know, I, I said that it was so great that turn and associated are in the harbor. They're right there between New Orleans and Baton Rouge and and the mouth of the river, you know, my marker 50. And, but that meant Hurricane Ida came about, came uh, ashore during my time there. And so it just hit exactly in our operational area. Like I know that other, you know, other companies, line haul, towboat companies, for example, that have employees in Missouri and Arkansas and all that, they could maybe backfill if their folks were impacted and couldn't go back to the boat all of our folks were impacted 100% of our people were impacted of 900 people so and chasing them down and trying to get hotel rooms when the hotel rooms didn't have power and if and even so without power all the linemen were in them so that they could restore our power and i ended up doing kind of more project based things like that um that one was kind of forced on us but other things as well to just do kind of like business continuity and improvement stuff which was again a great way to learn about the business but it was a tough lesson, but it was a really good one, and we were lucky that we were able to take care of everybody, um, and you know, come out stronger for sure. Um, I'm sure it impacted you all, or just having your your office where it is, you know, in reserve, right? I mean, that was almost ground zero in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. We uh, <laughs> is I it was... better or worse
1: to have a floating office during a hurricane?
0: Uh, well, I don't, there were no issues with the office itself, the triangle office. Uh, I was actually yeah. at the, at the time working across the street on the, uh, oh, our, yeah. on, our office building on the, uh, on the land side. Mm-hmm. Well, then what then prompted to uh, your recent move to Moran towing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I was really, you know, I'd only been at two for about two years, so wasn't really looking to leave, but I will say personally um i was looking for more opportunities to spend time on the east coast where i'm from where my family is um so just you know the, little, the parents aging and uh my husband and i don't have kids but my brothers do so being able to spend time more time with my nieces and nephews and my husband's uh niece just was in you know again it's one of these things that's just in the back of your mind that you're just thinking about um that's kind of tempering how you view opportunities so Uh, When it kind of came out of the blue, um, it was something where my ideal world that I didn't think probably existed, that I thought about sometimes was, I'd love to be able to spend part of the time on the East Coast and part of the time in New Orleans. We have a great house, love it here, wonderful, as you know. But the only people I knew that who did that were like high-powered lobbyists, very good at their jobs, end of their careers, peak of their... Uh, Chris Johnson and Jones Walker, I used to, whenever I flew, I saw him. And so I knew he was flying back and forth a lot. And he, he, to me, his life was my dream. He got to have it all. Um, but I did not have his background and experience, uh, and, uh, no one would, uh, probably sponsor me to do that. So I just didn't really think it was probably possible. But when this opportunity kind of came out of the blue, um, it was like, one of those that like, okay, that this is really in the back of my mind is something I want generally for my life in the future. This is probably it, you know, that Miranda has tugs here. We have an office in Letcher. Um, we have a presence in Port Arthur and, and elsewhere on the Gulf coast. So it's kind of local. It justifies, you know, spending a decent amount of time here uh, and everything like that. While also being able to um, go back to the East Coast more Miranda's headquartered in Connecticut, but close to New York. When I go up there, that's where my my boss is based. Uh, when I go up there, I take the train. It's three or four hours down to see my family, um, and a lot of friends in New York who kind of really relocated from D.C. to New York, so I have a great community there. And so, it also afforded me an opportunity to get an experience in an industry I didn't know much about: harbor tugs. I I think the first boat I ever got got on maybe it was an Enviso tugboat. Um, in New Orleans Harbor when I was new to AWO and down here visiting. Um, and Matt Holesalb is now the president of ENVSO. He was my coworker at AWO at the time. So just kind of small world stuff from long ago. Um, but other than that, I you know, I, I just didn't have any experience about ship docking, especially on the East Coast. Um, so the opportunity and, and ATBs, Moran has uh, articulated tug barge units, which I'm very unfamiliar with those um, seeing i him pass by, you know, in New Orleans, and uh, I've learned that Moran is a very diversified company as well, has an kind of environmental recovery company that's very interesting, that owns a da- um, diving company out in Seattle, um, uh, sister companies with a Laker company called Interlake in the Great Lakes, so, it was one of those things again that it was kind of an opportunity to see a, a broader piece of the industry that again I, I just didn't think I would probably get again. So really heartbreaker to to leave Turn just felt like too soon, but I think this was this is probably it. The <laughs> only you know I wasn't gonna get a better opportunity than this on the personal side. So uh, kind of is what it is, which I really appreciated Mario and the team understanding that. Um, so I have my Turn Services horse here that I keep on my desk since. Uh, the founder, uh, of associated terminals, uh, who then, you know, uh, uh, took over turn, uh, turn services, um, and brought Frank on board and all that, um, as a horse lover and owner. So got that on my desk to remind me.
0: Well, I've been following along sort of on, social, <laughs> so, so on social media that
1: oh, okay.
0: Ex- lots of travel for you. And I think you're on about 47 different boards. Um, How did you get involved in all that? And I guess, how many is it now?
1: Yeah, FOMO. I feel like I'm FOMO. And I just always am wanting to see what's going on and get involved in it just because I don't want to
0: miss out. Um,
1: So I don't know, I have a few now. I would say the couple most impactful, and I got to give a shout out to Jason Adams, who used to work at um, Ingram, who now is at Inland Marine Service. He was really one of my industry mentors, and he pulled me onto the AWO, safety committee which now uh the kind of governing body is called slab safety leadership advisory panel which was an acronym that we came up with um he really uh he was the chair at the time and it was kind of a force of M and and the safety committees kind of did their own things off to the side of awo and and were productive but kind of siloed over to the side not really integrated and he advocated for me to be his vice chair which i really appreciated he had conversations with my boss and and you know, really uh, took an interest in me and wanted to get me more involved, which I was like, sure, great, okay, you know, I didn't really think about it as a great career move, and it really changed my life. Um, he uh, ended up moving on from Ingram and have had a gap, a little gap, and then went to Inland, and so I ended up kind of immediate, almost immediately going up to chair, not almost immediately, but quicker than I was supposed to, so kind of got you know uh, like we all do in this industry kind of thrown in and just figure it out and got me more comfortable with speaking to people I didn't know and asking them questions. Still not my favorite thing to do, but in public speaking and addressing a room and running a meeting and running a committee. And, and it's just so different than when you're managing a team, you know, there's a hierarchy there. It doesn't mean that they always do what you say, but when there's kind of clear lines, but when you're all, when you're chair of an industry group with all different, diverse voices, and people don't have to listen to you, you know, uh, you need to make it worth their while to be there and to be involved. And so, it was a really great uh, lesson in how to really uh, engage with people. So that was one of my, you know, that was my first big one and one of my favorite ones. And now the safety committees have grown so much and are so impactful and. Um, really integrated into the industry and, and the AWO uh, organization, which I love. Um, I guess the Gaika is probably the next one, the Gulf and the Coastal Canal Association. That's an intimidating one because it's like 120 years old. So when I became chair of that, I was like, oh, I hope I don't mess this up because like, I don't want to be the one who <laughs> ended this long, prestigious organization. Um, but that was another one that I had a great mentor with Tom Marion, Buffalo Marine. He was the chair while I was the vice chair and he really taught me how to balance it all because he was the chair of AWO at the time and he was also Geica chair. And we're like, this isn't gonna work and he did both and killed it. Uh, So I was like, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. And uh, it was also a really good balance of a board in terms of people have been there for a long time and new folks. And we kind of tried to keep that balance as we went. And that's just a great mix. So I guess my last one really is the Siemens Church Institute. I was extremely fortunate to join that board. That was one where I, again, feel way like, you know, in over my head because there's some really heavy hitters on that board. Um, Long time uh, industry people, more of a blue water bent. Again, interesting to me because it's not uh, where most of my experience lies. And so that's my newest board. Um, But it's really fascinating and especially because it's all about the Mariner. So, and it's again, Teddy Roosevelt was like on the board. I mean, it was an involved. So again, it's really humbling uh, to be joining this, you know, 175 year organization. And really that has been supporting Mariners since day one um, that it started. So, and really expanded to the inland, you know started off New York city, indigent sailor support, you know uh, housing sailors when they came into port and providing dental care and medical care and all that. And now that providing state of the art simulator training in Paducah, I mean it's just a fascinating trajectory of this organization. So um just kind of getting started with that one, but it's one of the one of the most interesting groups out there, I think.
0: Well before we conclude, uh, do you have any I, I've asked this question of of many other guests. Do you have any any sort of message for the industry or for for viewers that may not know much about it, that may have seen you somewhere?
1: Wow. That is a good question. I also have all these notes that I didn't look at the whole time. So I feel like I might have something in here, um, but I might actually leave. I have a message, but I might steal it from Merritt Lane, the president and CEO of Canal Barge who had a lot of great uh, quotes and quips that I wrote down uh, over time. And I looked this one up before our before our call, because I really liked it. Um, and it's something that has kind of since I heard it kind of guided me. Um, that he was, I think it was really just off the cuff. And he was talking about with, when newer people join the organization, really what the three things that he's looking at are how do they show up? Like, how do they act in meetings? How do they interact in the galley when they're getting coffee? You know, how do they greet you? Do they pick up a piece of trash that they see on the floor or they walk by? You know, how do they show up personally? Um, number two, uh, are they, you know, giving you positive surprises? I like that term because, you know, it's one thing and a great thing to go ahead, go in and do your job, but the curious people who are asking the questions or surprising you with something you didn't think about before, that's kind of what makes organizations better is that diverse viewpoint, um, and those surprises. And the third was they're good at listening to and learning from their colleagues, regardless of who. So if it's a new vice president who comes in with 50 years of experience learning to and listening to the, you know, uh, person who has been there for only a year and new to the industry and vice versa. And that's really what I think this podcast is all about is us listening to each other and, and learning from each other. And it's only going to make us stronger as an industry because we're, we're in it for the long haul, I think.
0: Well, I intend to be.
1: <laughs> Me too. I appreciate your, flexibility and letting me push back a little bit just because of time difference and stuff i was like i gotta figure as, this out but do you like it so far
0: as busy as you are i'm very happy you a lot of me, lot of me this time this afternoon
1: oh as, whatever you need
0: mary as these all have ended uh, up to this point i do appreciate your time as i mentioned very much i know how busy you are so i uh, thank you very much again for your time and we'll talk very soon
1: Thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. This was a blast. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely.